my soul in sad exile was out on life's sea. So burdened with sin and distressed, till I heard a sweet voice saying, Make me your choice. And I entered the haven of rest. I've anchored my soul in the haven of rest. I'll sail the white seas no more. The tempest may sweep or the wild stormy deep. In Jesus, I'm safe evermore. I yielded myself to his tender embrace, in faith taking hold of the word. My fetters fell off, and I anchored my soul. The haven of rest is my Lord. I've anchored my soul in the haven of rest. I'll sail the white seas no more. The tempest may sweep or the wild stormy deep in jesus i'm safe evermore oh come to the savior he patiently waits to save by his power divine come anchor your soul in the haven of rest and say my beloved is mine i've anchored my soul in the haven of rest i'll sail the white seas no more the tempest may sweep or the wild stormy deep in Jesus I'm safe evermore I've anchored my soul in the haven of rest I'll sail the white seas no more the tempest may sweep or the wild stormy deep in jesus i'm safe evermore i like that quartet stuff don't you or quintet whatever that was it's good stuff right there take your bible if you would turn over the book of psalm chapter 127 psalm 127 today Again, we start our uh, series on For the Family, I'm calling it, For the Family. And so today, we're going to start on that. i be honest with you, I had an outline for a four-part message, and the first message broke down into three already. So 
Uh, we don't know how long this will go, but for sure we've got three that just in that first one I had. And we're talking about a mind to work. And uh, again, that's our theme this year, a mind to work. Well, listen, you, we're going to have to work if we want our families to be what God wants them to be. If we want them to be strong and vibrant, we have to work at it. It's not something that just comes by chance. I'm always amazed when people say things like, oh, you're lucky. You've got a good family. <clears throat> you're lucky. Luck? First of all, there's a God in heaven. But then all of a sudden, there's some principles that we have to apply in our life. There are some things in this book that help define a family and help define what's important and what we need to do in our lives and our homes and our marriages. And boy, I'll tell you what, I mean, I'm not saying, uh, listen, give God all the credit. Don't misunderstand me. But let's give God the credit where it belongs. It's in his word. I mean, God doesn't just supernaturally go, you know what, I'm going to pick you to have a fun marriage and a good marriage, and I want yours to be miserable. You know, that, that's as bad. We, we're not the kind that believe that God picks and chooses who goes to heaven or hell. We believe that a man or a woman makes a decision to yield their will to Christ. Uh, we don't, God doesn't say, well, you get to go to heaven, you get to go to hell. That's not what the Bible teaches, at least. Now, there's some religions or faiths that may teach that, but the fact is that's not at all the case. And you know what? God doesn't decide who's going to have a good family. You, brother, you get a good family. Hey, you, you get a miserable one. I want you to be miserable, miserable, miserable. I want your marriage to be a mess. That's not how God works it. That doesn't work that way. We all make decisions, and sometimes, unfortunately, there's consequences for decisions, whether it's good or bad consequences. And then we have to apply truths in our lives. So how we apply those truths determines the outcome often. I'm not saying tragedy doesn't come. I'm not saying that things don't you know, derail us. They come from behind. We don't get, the devil doesn't attack us. I mean, we know the, the story of Job. We understand that there are difficult times that come in the lives of even those that are upright. But, boy, I'll tell you what, as we, have, we, we face this issue of the family, as we enter into this series, as we go forward in our lives, let's, let's make up our minds that we're going to work. We are going to work at having the kind of relationship that God wants us to have. We're going to work at having the kind of home God wants us to have. We're going to work at this thing. And that's really the premise of it, a mind to work for the family. And, and so the series is basically for the family. And I want to begin today <clears throat> with this series by starting on a topic, a scriptural mindset. A scriptural mindset. Now, there'll be three messages in that subtopic, a scriptural mindset. So we're going we're gonna to work for the family, but we're going to, first of all, begin with a scriptural mindset. So basically, the first three weeks, if you will, and probably the whole series at this point, is going to be basically a scriptural mindset. What, let's lay the foundation for what God intends it to be and what some of the obstacles will face and why. And then maybe we'll get along to some other things along the way. But I trust it will be a help to you as we move forward because let's face it, the world has their view and God has his. And so we're going to take a look at some of those things. Psalm chapter 127, verse 1 through 5. The Bible says, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early and to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are a heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. <clears throat> Again, I like that verse 1. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Well, I'll tell you what. Why a series for the family? Why take the time to address that issue? 
Well, first of all, I'm for the family. I am for the family. And yet it seems obvious to me and probably to you as well that the family is rapidly deteriorating in our culture and our society today. And Roger A. Rush, in his article entitled The Disintegration of the Home, makes some statements. He says, as we enter the 21st century, the breakdown of the home is one of the most significant problems facing this nation. As goes the home, so goes the nation. There was a time in our history when family ties were close and solid, but no more. He goes on to say, what has caused the disintegration of the American family? Several factors are involved, he says, including the following. One, easy divorce. Two, the acceptance of alternate lifestyles. Three, rampant sexual immorality. Four, mobility. The average family moves once every five years, causing ties to, be, to the extended family to be stretched too thin. Five, materialism, pu pulling mothers with small children out of the home and into the workforce while they're still needed at home. And six, the breakdown of traditional religious values. These factors and others are combining to destroy the traditional American family. He said, and again, you may not agree wholeheartedly with this author, but you have to admit that, the, that some of the reasons he gives certainly contribute to the problem. Now, marriage, home, and the family is under attack. And guess what? We are losing the battle. This is why I've decided to share this series entitled, For the Family. I believe the family is worth fighting for. Now, the home is indispensable. Our society cannot and will not prosper unless the home is strong and vibrant. And that is a reality of life. Again, we can go ahead and we can uh, come up with our own ideas of what will make a strong society. But let me tell you, God has a game plan and God has a book that defines marriage, defines the home, defines family, and certainly gives us the road, uh, the, the, the uh, map, road map to success in, in our lives and in our communities, in our country, and on every continent of the face of this earth. And let me tell you, it does begin with a home. Now, I want to give you a disclaimer right now. Here's my disclaimer. I believe that this book called the Bible is the Word of God. Okay, disclaimer's not over yet. I believe that this book called the Bible is the Word of God. That means that it contains God's position, His preferences, and His practices. So what I'm going to share with you today and over the next few weeks is a biblical view. Now, the biblical view is not always the most popular view, but it is God's view. Now, He is our Creator, and as our Creator, He more than any other knows exactly what we need. That's my disclaimer. So here we go. The family. The foundation of society. Today I want to touch on just two aspects. One, God's design. And then God's delight. Just those two areas today. Let's take just a few minutes and pray and ask the Lord's presence. Then we'll move forward. Father, thank you again for these that have gathered today. And Lord, I believe today sitting amidst this crowd is a group of people that truly want to honor you with their life and want to glorify you in their homes and their, 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 their uh, world. And I just ask, dear God, that you would just bless them now, that you'd meet needs in their life and in my life. Lord, as the, the word of God goes forth today, may our hearts be encouraged. Lord, thank you for just 
the privilege that we have to be a part of your family. Now, Lord, on these earthly families that we live in, help us, Lord, just to reflect you positively. We love you and we need you. And, Lord, just bless our nation. Bless our leaders. And, Father, bless our churches. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The family. The foundation of society. It is the very foundation of society. We see God's design. Take your Bible. Look at Genesis chapter 1, please. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 27. 27. I tell you what, let's start in verse 26, since you're there anyway. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over, every, and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Isn't that good? Now... God the Creator, the Bible says, created them male and female. That's very important. It Right off the bat, in the Word of God, He, he all to, all, 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 immediately shares this truth that He created them male and female. Now, in God's Word, He is careful to address the fact that men and women are not the same. If they were, He wouldn't have had to use two different words to describe them. There are two different words. One, there's man or male. And then there is the female or women. God says they're distinct. They are different. They are unique. They're not the same. I created man, and later, as we'll find, come forth from man, woman. There's two distinct, different persons here. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with being different. Nothing wrong at all with that. As a matter of fact, if we can grasp that truth, it is a very liberating truth. Very liberating. Today, I have with me up here on the, on the, the, the pulpit... I've got a piece of wood, and I've got a screw, and I've got a nail. And so I have this screw and this nail in this piece of wood. Now, I also have with me today a hammer and a screwdriver. Now, here's the thing. I want you to know that the hammer is not a screwdriver, and the screwdriver is not a hammer. And so as we look at this head's about ready to come off, so when I start nailing, brother, you duck if it flies off, all right? So anyway, we have a screw and a nail. Now listen, if I try to use this tool right here, this hammer, to screw this, na- this, to screw this, this screw into the board, I'm going to have a hard time if I try to stick that in there and I turn that. Now, I can turn that a little bit, but let me tell you something, it's going to take me a while. Matter of fact, it's going to become very frustrating. It's, it's going to become extremely, um, I might even get a little upset. Now, I may be so upset that I take the hammer and I decide to go ahead and pound the screw into the wood. But you know what? Because this is a screw, once I get it in there, it won't be tight because it has these little ridges on it that are going to create some space in that wood and it's not going to hold like it should. Listen, you don't use a hammer to screw a screw into a piece of board. You've got to use a screwdriver because that's the tool that is used for that purpose. It's specific in how it's to be used. On the other hand, I have a nail. If I take the screwdriver and I try to use it to nail the nail, like I know all of us have tried, and maybe even like that at times, we've all done it, 
It's not as effective. It doesn't work like that. The truth is, is that this hammer and this screwdriver are distinct, unique, very different from one another. They each have a different purpose for existing. And the fact is, is that just because one is a hammer and the other is a screwdriver doesn't mean that one or the other is more valuable or more important than the other. The fact is, is that they are just unique and different and designed with an express purpose for existing. The hammer is to use on nails, driving into wood or some other object. The screwdriver is for screws. So the fact is today is that you, we must understand there is a distinct difference between men and women. It doesn't make one more valuable than the other. It just means that they have a different reason for existing. And until we come to the understanding that there is a difference between men and women, we are going to be very frustrated. In our culture today, we are being taught and told that there is no difference between men and women. I am appalled. I am appalled. You may not be, but I am appalled to find out that there is a girls' full-contact football league that was started in a different state than ours. I'm appalled by that. I, I am so sickened by that because all we have is a bunch of soccer moms in our area and around the world that cry about football being too violent and now we're going to say that our, even our little girls can play the sport. I don't get stuff like that. It's okay because now we're going to prove that women are just like boys or men. Okay, it's all right because women can do whatever men can do and men can do whatever women can do. That's what our culture teaches us, but that's not what the Bible says. Now, I'm not trying to be argumentative. I'm not trying to be angry. I'm not just an angry white male. I honestly am upset with the fact that there's a problem with distinction in our world, and God stops, corrects it right off the bat. He created them male and female, and therefore they are distinct, and they are different. What is wrong with that? Nothing's wrong with that. Nothing. That's the way it is. And yet the world's telling us that's not the way it is. <laughs> if you let your daughters get involved in MMA fighting, you're nuts. You are out of your mind. God never created your daughter to get in a fist fight on, in, a, in a, a ring and to be blooding up one another and breaking each other's arms. That's not what a woman is designed to do. She is not a hammer. She's a screwdriver. I mean, come on. Now listen, I, I'm not saying that one is better than the other or one is more valuable than the other. Man, we need them all. But the fact is, is that we need to be clear. There is a distinction. And the frustration is ours. The Bible says God's not the author of confusion, but of peace. The fact is today is that there's great confusion today. We wouldn't, nobody knows what they should be or how they should be or what they are or who they are anymore. Our culture is telling everybody you're all the same, when in reality we are quite different. I could have a woman stand beside me right now and everybody here would know who the woman was and who the guy was. We can see the distinction. It's clear. We've tried to destroy the distinction. We have what's called the unisex movement. We saw that with, with women's right movement years ago and the, the unisex movement, everybody trying to look alike, act alike, be alike. There's a problem with that. 
God says that he created them male and female and with a purpose and a distinct purpose to deny the difference between men and women will only frustrate and it will only irritate you. To drive you crazy. It's called confusion. And again, that's something God doesn't endorse. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 20, look there if you would, please. <clears throat> now again, that, I told you, I'm not, I, I gave the disclaimer already. So what you're hearing is not anything but what, it, it's just going to be out of this book. Amen. Th that's the problem. That's the reality. And, and sometimes it grates people. It bothers folks. But God wants to liberate us. He wants us to be free, to be everything He intended us to be, and to truly be satisfied and fulfilled in our purpose and in our function. It's, it doesn't, you try to hammer a nail with a screwdriver and you become frustrated because it's not the right tool for that job. And there are distinct differences between men and women, and they do indeed, and this is not the place nor the time we're going to discuss it, but they do indeed have their specific purpose and role in life. Now, in Genesis 2, verse 20, notice what the Bible says here. And Adam gave names to all, all, all cattle, and to the fowl of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helpmeet for him. And the Lord God caused the deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs, and closed up the flesh instead thereof, and the rib, which the Lord God had taken from man, made he a woman, and brought her unto the man. And Adam said... This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now, that's not a derogatory term, folks. Woman's not derogatory. Man, there was nobody happier that day than Adam. He was thrilled to death because of woman. And let me tell you something. I'm liking women a lot. I love them too. I mean to tell you, there's nothing wrong with a woman. That's a wonderful thing. And the matter of fact, the Bible talks about a woman becoming a wife. And he says, for the man that can find a wife, he's found a good thing. Amen. And so there's nobody putting anybody down. There's no derogatory aspect. There's no male, you know, chauvinism here. This is just simply, this is a woman. God took a rib out of my body and made her. We are one, man. He was excited about that. I don't blame him. Notice he goes on to say, it goes on to say then, all of a sudden, therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. Now, if we're going to seek the origin of the home and the family, we can't go back any further than Genesis. We can't go back any further than the Garden of Eden because right there's where it's at. See, for man, the Bible, from man came a woman and their, their, their closeness, their, their, their closeness, their oneness is evident here. I mean, just from the wording, he says flat out, he says... Now, she's bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Man, that is a, a, a unique relationship, a very close relationship. And all of a sudden then, right off of the heels of that verse, that closeness, that, that, that's very evident there in verse 23, the writer then deviates from the narrative. And he, he inserts a very important interlude. Notice verse 24, that last verse. Therefore, he says... As a result of that, shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Now, that right there is the very beginning of life on earth, or should I say of marriage on earth. There it is, right there. Because we see very clearly now, there's a man, there's a woman, there's a closeness, and there is a 
a very distinct group there. Husband, wife. Mom and dad? Nope, he cleaves to his wife. Mom and dad, you're wonderful, and I love you, and you're great and all, and I've appreciated everything you've done for me, but man, listen, it's me and her now. It's me and her now. Listen, mom-in-law, stay out of the business. Mom, stay out of the business. The fact is, is that husband and wife have their own deal, thing to deal with. They are their own unit now. Listen, your little boy is not yours anymore. He's hers. Now listen, you better have done a good job training them up and who they ought to marry. Because honestly, I think this. I've told all my boys all along. I've said, listen, you ought to find somebody just like your mother. If you, you find somebody half as good as mom, you'll be doing just fine. i tell you what. I, I, I would gladly say, hey, fellas, if you can find somebody like her to marry, you'll do just fine in life. And you know what? I've told my daughters. If you can find somebody half as good as daddy... You will do just fine. Hey, listen, I'm going to tell you, Dad, you should be everything you want your daughter to marry. If you aren't what your daughter ought to marry, then you just get off your lazy bones and get started doing what God wants you to do and be the man of God that you ought to be. Because I'm telling you this, she'll marry somebody more like you than she will not like you. You better figure it out now, friend. You better get it nailed down. You're going to raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? You better not be a hypocrite, because if not, she's not going to know how to choose. I'm telling you, be careful. They're going to make their own mistakes anyway. They don't need us to help them. They're going to have their own problems. They're going to make decisions, and there's some things you can't control, no matter how good you do raising them. I understand all that, but listen, don't be lazy and say, well, I wouldn't want somebody to marry, I wouldn't want her to marry somebody like me, because I know I've got a real problem that even my wife don't know about right now. I got an issue in my, my heart and my attitude. And if she married somebody like me, I'd be ticked off. I'd hate that. You sorry dog, you. You ought to be everything she ought to want to marry. You ought to be able to point to you and say, daughter, this is what you need to marry. I used to tell all the kids in the youth group when I had a youth group, one day you ought to marry somebody just like her. And I'd say, ladies, you ought to look for somebody just like your youth leader. Loves Jesus Christ. Faithful to his wife. Serious about the things of Christ provides, protects, and cares for his family the best he can. That's what you need. I want them to be, I want them to marry somebody like me. And somebody says, that's pretty arrogant. No, you ought to feel the same way about your kids. I don't know how we got on that one. But anyway, that's, that's where it went. Now see, the fact is though, is that right there in that passage, right there in that passage, we see the family. We see the marriage and we see family. This was the very beginning of life on earth. And it was the very beginning of society as we know it. There it is. The very beginning of society as we know it. Right there in that passage. Right where he tells him that he shall leave a father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. It went from a family now to a society. I mean, here it is now. There's more than one family. The Bible says this. What we've learned. Marriage and family or home is God's idea. It's not man's. That's the thing. God decided this thing. This is God's idea. Not only that, but we've also found then already that God defines what marriage is and not his creation. His creation doesn't define what marriage is. God defines what marriage is. There's no argument. I don't need to argue with anybody. 
See, I believe the Bible. So because I believe the Bible, God defines what marriage is. It's very clear to me. He created them male and female. And guess what? He left his mom and daddy cleave to his wife. Hey, listen, it's simple. It takes a man and a woman together making a commitment to one another and before God. That, that's marriage. None of this other stuff's marriage, folks. No, then call it whatever you want. You put it on a certificate, you'd say whatever you want. But marriage is defined in the Word of God. Why? God created marriage and God created the home. God created family. This all started with God. It didn't start with man in his own mind. He does not define what marriage is. I don't care if he calls himself a Supreme Court justice or not. He does not define what marriage is. God defines what marriage is. And it's right there in the Word of God. You don't have to argue with people. You don't have to be mad at anybody. Matter of fact, you ought to love people that don't see things God's way. Because listen, this is the best they'll ever have it in the world. This is as good as it gets for them. Because if they deny the word of God, then they deny the Savior, Jesus Christ. That means they're not going to spend one moment in heaven. They will spend an eternity lost without Christ. You ought to love on them. And you ought to be patient with them. And you ought to encourage them. You ought to help people that don't see things the way God sees things. That doesn't mean you embrace the sin. That doesn't mean you include it in your home. That doesn't mean that you allow it to take place in your, before your very eyes. But the fact is, is that you, don't, you do not get angry with people to the point where you can't love them, care for them. You may not appreciate their actions and their attitudes at times, but you can't help but love them and understand their great need for Jesus. Boy, I'm glad he loved me when I was so unlovable. And I'm still unlovable and he still loves me. Isn't that amazing? Let's note a few of the reasons why God allowed this thing to take place the way it is. Genesis 2.28. He continues and he says, in 2.28 he says, And God blessed them, and, and God said unto them, Who did he say that to? He said that to Adam and Eve, to that first couple, that marriage, that, that, that young couple, so to speak. Be fruitful and multiply... Make sure, make sure I'm in the right place. I hear pages going crazy. 128, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I thought maybe I gave you the wrong verse there. See, you didn't even know God said that at chapter 2, did you? <clears throat> Genesis 128. Appreciate that. Again, he says, And God blessed them and said, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. First of all, marriage and the family was instituted for the purpose of procreation. You say, what in the world does that mean? That means that he put husbands and wives together in order to populate the earth and to ensure the continuance of the species. That's one of the reasons God put man and woman together so that they could produce offspring, so that they could ultimately have children, so that those children could then come together and leave father and mother and become husband and wife and have children and then have their children leave and cling to one another and have children of their own and down the road, procreating. And someone says, well, we, we, it's no big deal today because we got so many people on earth. It doesn't matter. God did not design marriage one of his purposes in marriage was to procreate. Guess what? That's a good thing. It's a good thing. Now, unfortunately, and and sadly, there are times when a couple comes together and they're unable to have children, and God, uh, you know, they don't have children. And, And they're usually the saddest of all the people in the world. 
They're so sad for that. Because there's something inside of us that says, I know we're together. Children are important. We want children. Boy, I feel for people. Praise God for folks, though. There are some like that that say, you know what? We still have the desire to have children. Let's find a child that doesn't have a mom and dad. Praise God for that. Man, that's a blessing. I don't know why God does what he does sometimes, but what I do know is in marriage, early on, when the Adam and Eve got together, one of the main purposes, or at least early purposes, was that they procreate. And so therefore, if there's no means of procreation, then it's not fulfilling the purpose that it was intended in that sense. God intended that husbands and wives at least try to become pregnant. That's a good thing. It's not just for our pleasure. It's for His purpose. And those are important truths. So we need to realize that. Next, marriage in the family was instituted with the purpose of a picture. It's a picture of things. Ephesians 5, look over there. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. I think this is one of the most despised passages in the entire Bible. I I, I do. I really do. I I think that it's so misunderstood. So misunderstood so often. But nonetheless, let's read it. And some of you ladies will know what I'm talking about. And if you got one of those kind of guys that loves this passage and he likes to quote it to you all the time, I see why you despise it. Moving on. Husbands, love your wives. Some of you didn't get that because you haven't read this enough. But anyway, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. The church ought to be holding without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh. Isn't that the truth? But nourisheth it and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause... Shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh? We've heard that before. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. So the passage isn't as much about marriage then, as it is about Christ and the church. The passage isn't just about, okay, guess what, guys? You get on, you know, get on, mounted on that high horse and start letting them women know, boom. And, and boy, this is how it works. No, God's saying, okay, listen, there's a picture here. What I'm sharing with you is that that marriage, that relationship is going to have to be a reflection of me and my church because that's what the passage is really expressing. So the passage is really implying that husbands, if they would follow the example of loving, cherishing, and sacrificing on behalf of their wives and their family as Christ did the church, then both the home and the church would be what God intended it to be. That's what he's saying. You want to know why our churches are a mess? Because our homes are a mess. Because men are a mess. I'm sorry, but that's what we see. If you say, this church is ridiculous, you just said an indictment that our men are ridiculous here. They're not men of their homes. 
They're not really in charge of their homes. They're really not taking uh, loving and cherishing and leading and caring for their families like they ought to. Because if they were, then it would reflect positively on Christ in their home and it would reflect positively on Christ in the church. It was sad yesterday in one respect. On the way to and from the... uh, uh, the place where they were playing all their games yesterday, they took buses. And so all the children loaded up on buses. And so they're headed on out there to, what was the name of the place? Thanks. About six of you talked at different times. Thank you. I appreciate all that. Grand Slam. Thank you. I just, I had the interpretation. But anyway, so they were headed out to Grand Slam. And so they all got on the buses and they went to Grand Slam. And boy, during the process of the bus ride, they had games on the buses. The guys versus the girls. And when they all got back before they left to go to their treat time or to get their snow cones, they said, okay, we're going to serve the ones who, we're going to serve the ones who won first. So who won on bus number? And the guy, the first one said, the guys. And everybody went, yay, yay. And then the next one went, the girls. And they went, Louder than the boys, mind you. And then they said, the next one, the girls, woo And one other bus, the girls, woo So all these, so the girls won. And so they said, well, girls, you get to go get your snow cones first. And boy, all the girls popped up. They took on out the door. There was a handful of boys left in this room. That broke my heart. The girls outnumbered the boys at least three to one. Something wrong, folks. Something wrong. Where's the church going to be if that's what we have for leadership coming up? That broke my heart. See, the truth is that The success of the church is dependent upon men loving and leading their families as outlined and described in the Word of God. It's not just about you and your home. See, if you're not man enough to be the man that you ought to be in your home based on God's design and the way He intended it to be, let me tell you something, it spills over into this ministry. It affects this church. It affects every church in America. Because the fact is, is that God is saying very simply here in the passage that, listen, He's saying... If you husbands would follow the example of that loving, cherishing, and sacrificing on behalf of your families, then guess what? Both the home and the church would be what I intend it to be. Because it demands and requires that a home be solid. Because the reality is, is that your marriage and your family, your home, if you will, is the very foundation of this ministry. And it's the very foundation of this culture and society in which we live. And it is ultimately a picture of Jesus Christ. Men are to be Christ-like in their love, Christ-like in their leadership, Christ-like in their devotion to their families, and, and, and they are to be an example that will positively reflect upon Christ and will ultimately influence others for the glory of God. So marriage pictures the relationship between Christ and His bride, the church. His love and His attention is directed to us, you and I, the church, the bride, and we are to submit our bodies and our lives to Him. Now, this is the thing, though. Not only is a marriage and family a picture of Christ's relationship to His bride, the church, 
but it is also it also provides a wonderful picture of our relationship to God as his children. This is important. John chapter 1 verse 12 because of time let me just read them. But as many as received him to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Galatians 3:26. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 15 through 17. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also, excuse me, be also glorified together. What we find is very simple. We are the children of God then. When we come to Christ, when we put our faith in the Lord Jesus, we become a child of God. We are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. So we are in a relationship with Him. So what we find then is, is, that, the, is that the relationship between father and son or father and daughter is one that we enjoy with our Heavenly Father. And our Heavenly Father is none other than God. You are His son. You are His daughter in that sense. I know biblically it's all referred to as sons. I know that. Because of gender on earth, let me just say, you're his son, you're his daughter today. Simple. Now, now that's important to understand. Where we first are exposed to a father, daughter, father, son relationship is where? In the home. It's in the home. That's where we're really exposed to it for the first time ever. Now, the relationship between a boy and his father or a girl and her father is very important. You want to know why? Well, let's turn to Exodus first. Exodus chapter 4, verse 15. This is so important to understand. As a a dad especially, we've got to get a a handle on this. The Bible says in Exodus 4, verse 15 and 16, And thou shalt speak unto him, and put words in his mouth. And I will be with thy mouth, and with his mouth, and will teach you what ye shall do. And he shall be thy spokesman unto the people, and he shall be, even as he shall be, excuse me, even as he shall be to thee instead of a mouth, and thou shalt be to him instead of God. Now, in the passage, this passage we're reading, Exodus 4, Moses has seen a burning bush. And Moses, he finds his way to that burning bush. And when he arrives there, God begins to speak to him through that burning bush. And God informs him that he would ultimately become the deliverer of the people of God out of Egypt. That he would deliver them out of the hand of Pharaoh and from the Egyptians. Moses, of course, he he expresses his fear. Oh, Lord, I I can't possibly speak. I don't speak well. I'm not going to be the best spokesman. I, 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 I can't do it. Well, God's not happy with him. He's not happy with his excuses. He's not happy with his lack of faith. However, he still provides Moses with a spokesman now. And that spokesman will ultimately be his brother Aaron. And I want you to note once again what God says about the relationship between Moses and Aaron. He says, he shall be to thee instead of a mouth. That means that Aaron's going to be the one that speaks, but it's really Moses talking. But notice, very important now, he goes on to say, and thou, who? Moses. 
shall be to him who? Aaron, instead of God. Wow. Oh boy, wait a second now. That means when Moses speaks, it's as though God is speaking to Aaron. Wait a second. So God just correlated Moses and him together. He said, you are going to be God to him. Oh boy, that, that, if, if I said something like that to you today right now, you'd go, heresy, hypocrisy. You'd lose your mind. And probably rightly so. But in this particular case, God makes it very clear that Moses would be God to Aaron in that sense. Again, you, thou shalt, he says, thou shalt be to him instead of God. Wow, that's amazing to me. Let me tell you something. That teaches a principle here that's very important. And, and it's important for every dad to understand this. We're talking about marriage and family here. And the family is what's deteriorating. Family is what's being destroyed. And the devil is attacking it. We'll talk more about that next week. But the fact is today is that, Dad, you stand in the place of God in your child's life early on. He, doesn't see, he or she doesn't see God. A kid, little kid, two years old, three years old, four, doesn't go, God, I see him, I feel him, I touch him. I've read his word. No, you want to know who, how he sees God? In you. You are God to him. You are God to her. And I'm telling you, that's important to understand. And I'm not talking about that you become God. I'm saying that you represent God in their life. That when you speak, as far as they're concerned, you are everything. A child's first recollection, recollection of God is provided by their father. And let me just say it as simple as I can. Good dad, good God. Bad dad, bad God. There it is. It is that simple. We're talking today about God, and we're talking about the family. And we're being very clear that the family is the foundation of society. It's so important to understand this. And the very foundation of society starts in the home. So what have we learned then? Well, from this particular passage, we learned that a child derives their opinion and view of God from their relationship with their father. So when a father loves, leads, and listens to their children as God would have us, we honor God and provide our children with a wonderful picture of who God is and what He is. So God created them male and female. They're distinct, different. Between, there's a difference between men and women. And to neglect those differences results in confusion. Marriage in the family is God's idea. It is not man's. God defines what marriage is and not his creation. Marriage is God's institution and it was put in place for a reason. And we learned that marriage pictures the relationship between Christ and his church. And that the father-child relationship provides children with a biblical view of God. Now, I need to skip down to my conclusion because of time. The foundation of society is rooted in the family. And the foundation of family is rooted in marriage. And I want to close with this illustration for you. Remember a game years ago called Kerplunk? What it was is it was a, it was a see-through tube, a plastic tube. You could see through it. And, and you put little sticks all through the middle of it, different directions, different angles, and then you'd pour marbles on top in that cylinder. And they would rest on those sticks. And so the game begins with all the sticks in place. 
and all the marbles on top, resting on the sticks. As you play the game, each contestant touches a stick, wiggles it out, never wanting one of those balls to drop. And so the goal is, is to pull as many of those sticks out as you can without causing it to go The family today, the home is like one of those little sticks. Everything else rests on the family. If there is a problem in our world today, in our culture, in our society, in our country, when it's all said and done, it is really a home problem. And, and, and someone says, oh, it's a God problem. Yeah, because we've neglected God and his model. It starts with the home, though. And if dads are looking to God and they're allowing the local churches we learned yesterday, the pastor to lead and permitting the Word of God to grow in their life and in their home even, then all of a sudden, community becomes stronger. County stronger. State becomes stronger and ultimately country becomes stronger. But let the family disintegrate. Remove the family from our culture and our society and everything else collapses. I just want to encourage you today to realize that God says the family is the foundation of society. How's your family doing? Are you the dad you ought to be? You say, I'm a good dad. Well, let's take it one step back. Are you a good husband? Starts with that. Oh, wait, we could go back one more step. Are you a good Christian? Let's be the Christian we ought to be that will enable us to be the father, or the husband we need to be, will enable us to be the fathers we need to be. And I believe that if men would begin to take those steps in their life and in their homes and families that I think we would start to see progress in our homes. I'm not discounting what mom does. Don't misunderstand that, ladies. But I do believe it's time for us as men to follow God's model and to be what God wants us to be. And the home is the foundation of society. So let's begin to ask God to do something in our life. Maybe you've never started off your foundation with Christ. Maybe you're still on sand today. Sinking sand. You've never placed your feet upon the solid rock, Jesus Christ. You've never invited Him into your life. You've never trusted Him with your soul and your salvation or your eternity. You need to settle that today first. Get on the right foundation, Jesus. And then get into the right book that defines who and why you were created and the purpose in which you exist. Well, I'll tell you what, it'll start off well, and it can continue to go well. Even if things are a mess now, God can begin to mend the pieces. Doesn't mean that it'll happen overnight. Doesn't mean that he just wipes away all the consequences. But what it does mean is that you have him with you to go through it, and he'll help you to mend the pieces. Father, we come to you.